Welcome everyone to uh, Twig215. We have Eric, Laura, and the smart Eric on the uh, podcast today. <laughs> we are going to go through some serious and controversial predictions for 2023 and beyond, I think, a little bit. Um, I'm continuing to get salty about this whole Microsoft thing, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit only uh, because I think people are sick of it. Um, I actually have no updates besides the rain was terrible, but it wasn't like apocalyptic as people predicted. Um, but to be honest, I did actually, I, if I didn't have this pump set up, I would have definitely flooded in my basement right here. Actually, this is where I flood all the time. So it was pretty, pretty severe, but it was uh, uh, not apocalyptic as the news suggests that we are floating into the ocean or something. I don't know, dude. I think people in Florida think that California is going to, you know, be in the Pacific um, any any day now. But um, anyway, how are you guys doing? Anything new on your side, Laura, Eric? I uh, did a carb cleanse for the first week of January. So like a like a utter and complete carb cleanse, like literally did not eat a single carb. So I did the, the, the carnivore diet, which is meat and salt and water and that's it <laughs> and uh i just finished it yesterday was my last day and it wasn't that bad it was manageable i think i could probably do it for another week it, the first two days were difficult i had brain fog i had zero energy uh, you must be cranky as fuck oh, I, was, though, right? I was cranky i, I was lethargic you, <laughs> you had to sleep in another room <laughs> I was just <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't work like after 3 p.m i just my brain just wouldn't uh, function yeah but yeah, 100%. the last few days were, it seemed like, you know, my, you know, my, my, my organism had uh, adapted and I felt fine. I, I went to, so I, I did work out with my trainer yesterday and I was like much, much weaker than I, I normally am. I couldn't lift yeah. the weights that I normally do. But um, anyway, it, it was, I think it was a good, it was good to do the cleanse. I'm, I'm now I'm going to, you know, institute a much more sort of moderated diet, but I think it's it's good to start the new year with just shock therapy. It, it feels like a good yeah. thing to do to just kind of wake just, yourself up from the it just uh, cleanses the system. Exactly, cleanses the system. It, you, you just you you know, <laughs> I was mired in like two weeks of laziness uh, and sedentary uh, for the holidays, and just shocking the body back. I think has like invigorated me, so I'm I'm happy I did it. Um, I'm also kind of happy it's over. But that was my last last week. If I if I sent you a cranky response to an email uh please excuse me that was the diet talking not me <laughs> How you- how's it going over there laura you still don't have a fucking chair so that's still a problem oh um, I, no chair i've get there's going to be right. no more furniture in this flat for every podcast recording i will be standing it's what? like it's like a standing desk i have a, a little counter uh, it's a little setup it works but eric question so what would be next then? So you've done this, the, the kind of the meat cleanse, well, rather the carb cleanse. Are you going to try juicing next? Like just do like juices and fruit juices and vegetable juices? No, I'm just going to, you know, live a normal life. I, I don't, okay. I'm not like uh, experimenting <laughs> with like extreme diets. I wanted to do that for like a week as just like a shock therapy, but I'm, uh, I'm happy to revert back to just, you know, kind of normal eating habits. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I got nothing. No, you nothing got nothing major. more? All right. I am, the only thing, I am traveling. i traveling tomorrow. I'll be in London for a couple of days, then I'm going to Lisbon. 
I'm just going to miss the Pocket Gamer London conference, but I don't think uh, I would have headed to that anyway. You know what I, what I will say about Pocket Gamer London is I think it is the best mobile gaming conference. I really do. It, I, I it always is fantastic. I've always had a great time. I, I was actually, I really wanted to go this year. I couldn't make it work because my wife is traveling at the same time. But that, that is at the top of, if, if I had to rank, if I had to stack rank mobile gaming conferences, that would be at the very, very top. It's, it's really fantastic. It gets a really good turnout. So it does. a lot of people end up going. So if you end up wanting to have a meeting or there's someone at any of, like most of the mobile gaming studios, they're probably going to have at least one or two people there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, how about Dice? Are you going to go to Dice? No. No. All right. No. Well, yeah, I, I think I was going to go to Dice because uh, everyone says I should go to Dice. But now that we're doing this huge event, I think it's March 6th, right? Uh, that's what I, I, I heard. It'll yes. be around then. It's early March. Yeah. Yeah. Early March. Let's say March 6th for now. Put a placeholder because it's going to be absolutely massive and epic in Turkey, Istanbul with all the Google folks and all the Deconstructor Fund. It's amazing. Like actually how many people are showing up to that thing from the Deconstructor Fund community. Um, and I think I'll have my my sweatshirt with mice nuts on the back with the Deconstructor <laughs> Fucker logo on the first. On the front. <laughs> oh, I got to show you. I actually have it already. I already ordered a, a run of one um but uh, yeah anyway we'll get some maybe we'll get some swag for that um all right updates um i think laura has an update about platika i do why don't you go shoot that out and then i'll just explain my nonsense want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps well now you can apps flyer the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to appsflyer.com slash benchmarks now for more info. So, yes, uh, Playtika invests in Ace Games. Um, Back in November, uh, this happened back in November of 2022, and Ace Games is the maker of Fiona's Farm. For anyone who didn't know, and I didn't realize this when I started looking at the company and looking at their game, um, Ace Games is, was their co-founder was, there's, sorry, their CEO was the co-founder of Peak Games, which explains, which will explain a lot in terms of the quality of the game we're seeing. I spent quite a bit of time playing it. It made great company on my flights to and from Southeast Asia. And this game is the king of mashups. I would describe it as Toon Blast meets Lily's Garden meets Farmville 3. It's a collapsed mechanic with a story, an area you can decorate, a world you can explore, fix and build up, resources you collect while doing this, and recipe making with a market. So the market you can think of in terms of like you mill grain and lay eggs and you sell them. Um, in some, it is a massive, massive game. 
the levels, the blast levels are well designed. This is this is where everything started to click once I realized it was from the um, co-founder of Peak. The difficulty is good. I this is definitely, in my opinion, going to generate generate spend. Um, they have an energy system as well, so they're putting they're expanding a little bit of how the economy works for uh, casual puzzle games. Um, this has this game's actually been when I took a look at Data AI. It's been it looks like it's been in soft launch since January of last year, and they've ramped up spend recently with the raise and revenue is following so far. So the reason I'm bringing this up, why is this game interesting? It's a new puzzle game, which is good. I feel like we haven't seen a lot of new puzzle games, but I wonder if this level of extreme mashup is the new bar for entry into the puzzle market. Uh, puzzle is mature. Everyone knows this. There is so many puzzle games. We've got you know, the major, pu- the major, the major players kind of they're dominating the market still. And you really need a new new core mechanic, which is tough to do, a new meta or a new combination of the two to kind of break in. And I think this this game now takes the the main styles of all the metas that work: decorating, farming sim, narrative, and combines them together. And it's polished. Um, and so this, to me, is a wave of a question, is this, is this the new bar to entry? And if it is, it is massive. So I'm going to keep an eye on it. I really like it. Some of my, um, a friend of mine playing, he's, I'm at level just probably around 175 uh, colleagues at 400. So we like it a lot so far. Awesome. I think, you know, obviously Playtika needs to uh, expand outside of uh, social casino if they're, they're smart. Yeah, that's probably part of part of the strategy. Um, all right, for me, uh, Wizards of the Coast um, canceled five unannounced games. Uh, you know, I, I continue to see a challenge of their core IP um, building games based upon the such core IP because bringing them to mainstream audiences generally upsets the core fan base, which you're relying upon to be successful. But I think it's kind of overall a tough spot to be. They hire, you know, it just requires lots of investment um, in planning and cooperation between TV, mobile, uh, gaming, and, and movie studios. Um, but anyway, so the silver lining here is that most of these studios or most of these projects were actually outside studios, third parties. So the internal stuff was not as affected. So there wasn't that many layoffs internally. So hopefully these studios find other projects to work on. Um, uh, and then also Baldur's Gate 3 is still slated to release this August. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do with that kind of beloved franchise. Um, second, more positive news. Uh, Microsoft announces Xbox and Bethesda Showcase for January 25th, I believe. Um, they're going to talk about changes in Elder Scrolls Online, which I'm still a big fan of. Forza, Minecraft Legends, and Redfall. Unfortunately, they say that Starfield is not going to be part of this, but maybe maybe they'll give us a big surprise. But that's also a sign that they're probably in the heat of it and it's coming in hot. Um, and it may not release till the back half of 2023 for Starfield, which is my most anticipated game of the year by far. Um, again, I think these showcases are amazing for consumers. You know, they basically gives them something to be, you know, to be excited about for their you know, big platform purchase. Um, again, pioneered. These were pioneered more or less by Nintendo, uh, Nintendo Directs, and I think Microsoft, Sony should definitely, um, you know, keep doing this sort of thing uh, to help support the platforms. But of course, with the good news for Microsoft, there's got to be bad news, right? You know, and and it's like unfreaking believable. Um, and, and and you know, like. 
Microsoft is just being treacherous, treacherous on this shit, right? It is like this PR battle between to get this thing approved and to appease the governing bodies and the regulatory bodies, et cetera. So Microsoft continues to show this disgusting display of like pandering. You know, they put out an ad with the CWA, which is a, a, a union organization supporting unions in gaming, right? It's like, I mean, this is like an all-time low. I mean, in terms of of, of the PR seek, because it's like that's the last thing Microsoft really wants, right? But they're going to basically do this so that they can make people feel nice, nice about the company and about how supportive they are about unions, etc. Anyway, this is related to a new union that was set up by Bethesda QA workers. Um, and again, clearly this is pandering to both the regulators and the consumers. Um, but at least the coverage out there was good, right? They actually called them out on this, right? This is like so obvious, right? That they're trying to make, you know, people happy in, 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 from the consumer perspective to get this deal passed. So it was, it was a pretty obvious uh, a pandering moment. Um, and, and, and again, in the article that I read, I think it was in TechCrunch, they basically said, you know, this particular statement is likely to, intended to foster goodwill given Activision Blizzard's anti-union stance over the past couple of years. So again, it's covered well. But, you know, clearly PR, IR, lawyers, everybody is uh, doing whatever it takes, you know, re, you know re, reckless abandon to get this deal done. Um, and it's pretty remarkable in my view. Um, all right. Anyway, um, headlines. I think we're ready. Predictions. Going predictions. Um, do you want me to go first, yeah, so, uh, or do you want to go first? Yeah, I think. No, I think you should go first. I, you know, <laughs> okay. we we actually didn't do predictions last year, if I remember correctly. I think um, we, we 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 push it out. We should do predictions because I think it does set up the year pretty well, and we can actually review it next year. Um, so we did do a kind of a review last week on on what happened in 2022. This time, I think I think it makes sense to do 2023 predictions. There's a lot of predictions out there um, generally, but we'll see what we got. We'll hold ourselves to task and uh, and and come back next year and see how well we did. Um, generally speaking, so did go we, ahead, not, we didn't do predictions last year. I think was last year the last year because I mean Miska. You, had historically put together that huge prediction series. Yeah. I think yeah. last year was the last year they did that, right? We didn't. No, I think they we didn't do it last year. Uh, sorry. We yeah, Deconstructor Fund did, but the podcast did. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Did yeah. they? Because usually I do the casual ones. Uh, it's like there's a little group of us. I don't think we did the the individual ones by, by genre. I don't remember. I don't either. All right. All right. So... Laura's predictions. So this is less of a prediction, more of a piece of advice. So this this would well, piece of advice slash what, what I hope to happen. I think Netflix should form a key partnership slash, slash merger, but not for their games business to revive their streaming business. I think this would be smart for them to do. I'm not sure they will. And then I've come up with two that I think would work well. Disney and Netflix merge as they are similarly valued. Disney has the brands. Netflix has the production speed. With Netflix already expanding into games, they now would have the studios to also make games with great IPs. Um, or an alternative would be Apple acquires Netflix. Apple TV Plus is good content, but like Disney, they can't produce it fast enough. And imagine how valuable an Apple One uh, membership would be if Netflix was included. I would easily pay you know $19.99 a month for that. And Netflix is kind of already half on the Apple Arcade boat anyway. 
So I think if something like that happened, I'd be very excited. Next one, meta and the metaverse. So I, I, I think um, VR hardware is, is, is a tricky one. Um, I think. Wait, can we? Uh, yeah, wait, so are we supposed to be commenting? You are welcome. Other's... You're welcome to comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I think strategically, all what you're suggesting makes a lot of sense. But now that Lena Khan is, you know, chair of the <laughs> FTC, I, I don't think any of these deals are going to get get approved uh, without quite a bit of scrutiny. And I think they'll be hesitant to do any of these big mega deals between any of these tech giants. Uh, but we shall see. We, we shall see. Persistence. They just have to, you know, it's a long-term play. Lena Khan, short, it's short-term. They got to fill out some paperwork. It's going to be fine. Long-term, long-term goals are there. It's all the content. It would be, the, it would be great for content. Anyway, it, again, it was more like, I think this would be so awesome. Um, okay. So my next one is around meta, the metaverse. So I had a look and I, I think if VR adoption, uh, VR uh, hardware adoption will grow, but not due to meta. Apple's launch, if they can manage it, of a AR VR headset, I think will change the AR VR market, and then that would increase adoption. I don't see this uh, being something someone will use every day, but if these products sync with our phones, like the Apple Watch, then I do see a shift of companies starting to make more content for it, and then that is actually what would increase adoption. Kind of just like how, just similar to the iPhone. Um, instead of formal mobile gaming, talent leaving Web3 for mobile, I see them potentially starting to join a wave of developers focused on games and productivity type apps. So like functional apps for what would be Apple VR. Um, I think the people that left for Web3 always want to do something, like they left because they want to do something new and interesting. I can't see a lot of them coming back to mobile um, just because they, it, they, they wouldn't equate that necessarily with new, but a new platform would would be something new and interesting that I think would capture them. And then if if Samsung or whoever else or whatever their company is, I think they'd be smart to follow suit with Android because then there'd be nothing to pair it with. Um Anyway, that would be that is my meta metaverse and VR prediction for next year. I feel like you're gonna crap all no, over this, Eric. I, I, I'll do my own predictions on okay. the metaverse later. Fine. <laughs> I think because um, they they Apple released the price point for the headset, right? It's like thirty five hundred bucks. Did they? I haven't. That's the rumor. It's a rumor. That's I a rumor. Seen, but, okay. I haven't seen that yet. That, but I mean, that sounds about right. And that, to my mind, means this is extreme niche market. Yeah. Right? It, like, it, I, it's. I, there's, it, I mean, $3,500 is roughly the price of like a decently specced iMac, right? Like, $3,500 can get you like a top of the line, super hardcore gaming pc right you know yeah i mean i just bought one for my son that's like almost half of that and and it was like it was it, it's, it's expect insane out. so you're talking yeah, about I mean, but i think there so my sense is and this is what this is what meta was was doing too with its um i can't remember the name of the product it was like the oculus pro or whatever it's the yeah it's the the oculus enterprise it's designed for architects and uh you know visual graphics designers and stuff i think that it's kind of the same way with the high-end Apple desktop hardware, right? Like that's for like video editors and stuff like that. It's where you need all the bells and whistles to do your job efficiently. Now I don't understand what job you're going to be doing in VR, but if it, 
if that did assist you in some way. And maybe architecture is one is a great example. I don't know. But then you'd want to buy that. But that's not a hobbyist. Hard, that's not hobbyist hardware. That's not mass market hardware. So I don't, I don't really see that that changing the adoption. That's going to be more like, and I think a lot of those people have those devices. I mean, you could have had a VR kit that you plugged in your desktop for years and years, right? Yeah. I, well, I'm hoping they come yeah. out with levels. Yeah, if they come out with a, only a professional version that's $3,500. I think what I saw was the, the, the highest price point was 2000 Maybe in that case, but probably not. But if they, I'm hoping they do the same thing they do with the with all their products, which is they have like the lower end tiers and then going up to higher end tiers, so that it, it is more that people like. I mean, I'm not going to spend two thousand on it, but I probably would spend like five to seven hundred. But anyway, okay, so, so it depends on the it depends yeah, on so, if they uh, launch it and what price point it would be. Yeah, I, you know, I, I sorry, I don't want to like pick all this stuff apart right now the one fallacy argument that people keep making is about phones is about trying to correlate phones with other type of consumer electronics as platforms right phones were subsidized by the fucking carriers right and so you could buy a really expensive phone and pay it over two years and that like made the upfront cost easy and that's what created like the ability to grow the uh smartphone business you know, dramatically, you know, in the, in the first like five years. Right. And, and the adoption curve was just insane. Right. But that's just not the case for these other devices. These, there, there's no subsidization, subsidization happening, you know? And so these are fucking a thousand dollar devices, $600 devices, $3,000 devices. And that is a huge, huge barrier of entry for, for a normal consumer. But anyway, sorry. I don't, well, I don't no, but that's, a, that's a really interesting. That's a, it's a very valid point. And I think you know, there's another piece of that, which is, it's also like, that's what's driving also the incremental price increases, right? Because effectively, the consumer doesn't really see that. I don't know what percentage of users buy their phone outright. I do. Um, but I think most people are tied to I their carrier plan. And so you wouldn't even notice that the price of the iPhone has increased basically like 200 bucks, 300 bucks for, per yeah. every other uh, upgrade cycle, right? And so like that's what allows these companies to extract more and more uh, uh, revenue from the the upgrade cycle um, when consumers want to actually pay that. No one's going to pay two grand for a phone out of pocket, or very few are. But they are because it's being subsidized by the carrier, right? Or they're they're at least they're, they're, the price is hidden from them, right? And so, like once you reach that saturation point, the only way to actually increase the top line is to have someone sort of mask those price increases because no one really needs all the bells and whistles. I mean, like. A lot of these features that Apple announces, WWDC or even Android, it's like, I don't, what the hell is that useful for? I'm never going to use that. Yeah. All right. Continue. Sorry, Laura. One, one more point on that, though. What I, anecdotally, what I tend to notice is we are so primed to pay a lot of money for this tech that people will, even people will pay more for it than they would have in the past. We are just like... I, if you actually think about how expensive Apple products are, we just, you know, the, the top line, whatever the MacBook pro, they are expensive. And so I think that where, where I would normally say, wow, there's a sticker shock here. I actually think that it is, they would be able to get away with a much higher price point than someone like Meta in doing the Oculus Quest. But that may be to their core audience, but no one fucking buys Mac, Mac, uh, MacBook, sorry. No one buys MacBook uh, PCs. I mean, the, the, that you feel like they do because we live in San Francisco, but the reality of it is they're so expensive. They're out of like the price point of most Americans. Right. Yeah. But, um, 
And that's why they only have like what, like a four or five. Actually, I don't know what the percentage is anymore, but it's a very small share of the overall PC market is Macintosh, right? Or, or, or MacBook. So anyway, all right, moving on. Okay. You wake- this episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Costs and lack of store discoverability is going to continue to uh, a keep M um, keep M and A at the forefront and b cause in game monetization to innovate. Sorry, so the high UA costs and the lack of the, the ability for publishers and developers to use store discoverability will cause two things to happen. M&A will still be at the forefront and I think in-game monetization is going to have to innovate to get, to be able to afford uh, UA costs. And to be fair, this is, this has been predicted by a number of other people already. And then I have a little, little expanding on this. So companies with deep pockets were, are really going to be the only ones that can afford UA costs to grow a game. There's still companies forming, but I think that if they know that their game can only grow with cash, so they either need to aim to be acquired early-ish during soft launch or before they need to have a partnership deal in place with a large company or knock it out of the park and raise to grow again. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how awesome the game is. It, it's They're going to be stuck. Um, then this part, I think, is more kind of product focus, which is the experimentation with monetization across the board in mobile, especially in established games. So most big game companies have some sort of combination of a battle pass and optimized hard currency bank and offers and such and ads. They will have the luxury of figuring out what to try next, whether it's adding features to make battle passes competitive, um, whatever they would whatever they would do to start driving mixes of motivations to make those sell more, adding blockchain or alternative payments or leaning into uh, VIP systems, for example, inspired by mid-core games and, slot, and what slots games use. So I think we're going to see a big shift into people figuring out how to even optimize spend in ways we that I, I wouldn't even be able to predict. Thoughts? That's it? Yep. Yeah, I think oh, that's no. all. That's no, I, got all. I mean, I'd agree with all that. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah, I, I, that's pretty consensus. Yeah, people either innovate or die at this in this level, in this, in this game. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and then my last one, new games will play it safe and few new innovations in mechanics will appear. So not to be confused with innovations in monetization. This is talking about core... Core mechanics. So 
due to the fear of the next one to two years ahead economically, we are going to see a lot of companies playing it safe. So big tech companies laying people off in anticipation of tougher years ahead, the crypto bubble burst. Um, I see there's, this is all in a way, this is an effort to conserve cash. Um, if you want, as a, as a company or a small studio, if you want money, the ideal the idea you have will need to sell as solid, as guaranteed as a game can be, or a unicorn. Super special new mechanic that tests well, and even then it would be tough, and that's that's kind of a long shot. I think this will translate to a lot of games launching what is tried and true, and fewer innovating, and there's going to be fewer, less innovation. I don't think we're going to see a lot of new subgenres or new me- mechanics emerging next year. And I, and I actually think this will affect uh, 2024 as well, because games usually take a couple years to make. So this will have a knock-on effect ahead. Yeah, actually, that, no, that's actually a brilliant... <laughs> that's exactly why things are going to be a, a challenge, because people aren't going aren't to innovate fast enough on, on the gameplay side. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah. and innovating on the monetization side, I hope that happens, but oh, uh, we'll see. Me too. Um, I can't wait to see. So, uh, I can't wait to see what kind of the, like what Playrix is going to come up with, what King is going to come up with, cause they have everything right. So they, they're going to have the, the team size and the luxury to be like, how can we further explore? What else can we, what else can we make, um, It'll be tougher for smaller studios because it's more of a gamble for them, right? But if you already have everything you need in place, all you have to do now is like experiment. Anyway. Yep. All right. My predictions for 2023. The mobile market will continue to decline 5 to 10% in Western markets. Um, using, I'm going to use U.S. as a proxy to see if I'm right about this one. So down 5 to 10%. Um, what we saw, we saw continued declines in downloads in the back half of 2022. So we're really not out of the woods yet with the current changes that Apple has wrought upon our industry. Um, I do believe Apple will remove fingerprinting and Google will start to implement their changes in 2023, which will produce, you know, further reduce fidelity and targeting um, and attribution. Um, again, the other like more thing is that if we do move more casual in terms of games, uh, built and 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 downloads, then yields decline, right? So if you move people from strategy, revenue, strategy, RPG, casino, and puzzle to arcade, action, simulation, etc., that means that your fucking yield's going to go down, right? So it's going to get bad, right? It's going to get worse. So uh, so anyway, your revenue per active user is going to go down, and since users aren't going up and and conversions not improving, although it could pr- improve theoretically. We should see things decline again in 2023 and likely 2024, if I were to guess. Um, all right. And then we, I do believe, though, that the console and the PC market will continue to grow in 2023, both hardware and software. Um, I'm not talking about services revenue, although I think that might actually grow as well. You know, like um, microtransactions, it's really hard to measure that out there right now, but that, that should grow as well. But the uptick in hardware is going to reduce, you know, increase software. Um, sorry, increased adoption in hardware will increase software just by definition. We'll also see a new switch in 2023, which will improve hardware. Um, and then the software lineup is is not as strong as I would like, you know, but it's strong enough. Um, and uh, and then we also will see Diablo um, on the PC, which will be big as well. So. 
Um, I think we should see about a 10% increase, double-digit increase, both hardware and software. Um, is that me? Oh, Rockstar will announce GTA for release in 2024. Now, I'm not suggesting it's coming out in 2024 because I don't really know. I, the chances are pretty slim. But they will announce it this year for a potential release in 2024. Uh, and it'll be some small, like, rinky-dink trailer that'll get everyone hot and bothered. All right? Um, my next prediction is that AI will do very little or nothing for game development in 2023. <laughs> it's like, as much as the hype and the hubbubaloo about all this stuff, it ain't going to do shit. Okay, just to be clear. It is a five to ten year type thing at best. Uh, we've been talking about this bullshit for so long. It's just a little bit sickening like how extreme this thing has gotten in, in, in a few weeks, dude, since like the beginning of the year. You know, like anybody that I'll talk about it. So, uh, you know, despite all this hype, you know, game development is more of an art than a science. Uh, you may be able to generate some art. You know, maybe you generate some fucking, you know, textures or something. But creating a single-A, double-A, triple-A type games is eons away, right? That's that's what I think. Maybe five to ten years, maybe t- ten to twenty at this stage. Um, all right. The next one, Applovin gets acquired and stripped for parts. <laughs> so further <laughs> consolidation in this business makes sense because the business is shit, okay? It's a terrible business, right? So they're going to get acquired eventually. Someone's going to pick them up for an probably unreasonable valuation uh all deal orchestrated by kkr and their cronies uh likely the financial terms won't make any sense but that's never stopped them before and and the saga of app loving when um that's my prediction uh 2023 they get acquired uh the next one sorry eric's not going to comment on any of this shit so i'm gonna <laughs> move on okay uh, one uh, question so i'm trying to think about this who do you think would buy app loving I don't think it's Netflix. And I don't think it's Apple. So <laughs> it's going to be another ad tech company think of some sort, right? Because they yeah. have a couple really strong titles, and I'm thinking if there's a studio that would acquire them. But I can't. Oh, on the game side. I oh no, no, the games will get. That's why I mean strip the, for parts. So that, think, those would go, and yeah. then it would just would be the somewhere. ad tech. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and so it's yeah. I don't know. Who knows, right? But um, it's not going to go for much, you know, like compared to the what, $60 billion valuation they had at one point. It's ridiculous. All right. Um, let's see. I think China comes back in a big way in 2023. This is, I, this is actually out of my comfort zone a little bit. But I think they're going to reduce regulations. They're going to allow – they're clearly starting to improve more games, and I think that continues. They're going to get over this mishandling of COVID and this, like, you know, freaking terrible situation that they are. Um, and I think they're going to see some bigger titles coming to market, you know, from Nexon and others. So I think the market comes back in a big way in 2023 and particularly 2024 for China because um, they've just were in the shits this year or last year. Um, now, this one's not going to do win me any fans at all. <laughs> <on the> blockchain side. <laughs> we will not see a sustainable game in blockchain in 2023. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean, I'm looking at the landscape out there, and I don't see any of these games that appeal to a broad enough audience to bring people into the blockchain thing and to kind of have the ability to maintain revenue trajectory. I, I'm actually hope I'm wrong a little bit because what I really do want to see is a studio to figure out to how to make trading in secondary markets fun. 
right? How can you build a mechanic to make trading in secondaries markets fun, which is the key to making a successful blockchain game, period, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so I just don't really see people that are games that are, that are out there that are really taking advantage of what blockchain has to offer and innovating enough to maintain an audience doing these type of activities. Um, okay. Anything? I, uh, I kind okay, thinking about this, normally I would have agreed with you. And then I was reading about how Square Enix is diving into blockchain as a strategy. And then I went down just a, a little bit, itty bitty rabbit hole. And I, I would agree with this from, I think it's, I don't know if we're going to see a game in Western markets, but outside Western markets, potentially in, in from South Korea or from Japan, maybe. That would, All right. Yeah. I don't, I think they're I, too regulated. I don't think they'll, you really? I don't think they'll do that. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, my predictions are always on the Western markets. Yeah, yeah. No, none of our none of our publishers compete in in Asia anyway, so it's yeah. like almost worthless to discuss. Well, um, I think it. So I agree. Yeah, but we also t- I disagree with that because we take inspiration from what happens in those markets. We look at the, people still look at the games that come out, and we take those features. So if if they launch with something that works, right. there's going to be Point Western taken. publishers being like, ah, look at this, and then that would trigger potentially someone building right. something for us. Okay, agreed. But that shit ain't happening in 2023. Fine. <laughs> but you're right, though. Maybe they do innovate in a way that makes something really compelling on Web3 that, that translates over here. That's that's actually a good point. All right, but not in 2023. So my, right. my, I, I agree with you. I think there's, I, I just make two points in that. So one is, on the Web3 side, one is, one of my predictions, which was too hot, too hot for, for television <laughs> that I deleted from my post, which also, because it's not really related to mobile gaming, was that there would be no Web3 game, no Web3 game that launches in 2023 that reaches 5,000 DAU. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wow. Can you point to any many games now that have hit 5,000 DAU over the course of the last multiple years? In Web3. In Web3. Yeah, Web3. Not not, not mobile gaming, sorry. (laughs) Web3. There will be no Web3 game launched in 2023 that reaches 5,000 DAU because I think a lot of those launch mechanics that were used just don't work anymore. It was all about hyping people up for the NFT drops or the token drops um, so that they could get in early or get free assets that would appreciate, you know, dramatically. Uh, and then they could sell them, right? It was just speculation. And I, and, and so that you do that all on discord servers. I don't know that that's really happening anymore. And so now you're kind of stuck in like, uh, the trough of disillusionment uh, where you actually have to build an audience through like the, you know, age tested mechanics of marketing, which, you know, these web three gaming companies are not equipped to do. Right. Um, so that, that was my prediction that I struck from the, from the post. Cause I thought it was just, I, I didn't even, I just didn't want to go there. It wasn't worth riling up the, <laughs> it wasn't worth, uh, you know, whacking the bees nest. Uh, but, but I think you know, on the web three side, my sense is like, you just don't, you have a lot of people, building these games and they're just clinging to the design principles of like console games or desktop games. And it just doesn't work. It's like, you've got to meld that mechanic into content in a new way that we just haven't seen surfaced yet. And maybe we will, but we just haven't seen it yet. You can't like, it's just, okay, I'll build a normal game and there will be this token uh, or like an NFT integration and people will love it. And it's like, no, if they're, if they want to play a normal game, they're not going to, they don't want to deal with, the trading aspect, right? That just doesn't enhance it 
in a de facto, in a sort of like de facto dependable way, right? You, it's just going to take yeah. a whole new design sensibility, I think, to unlock the value proposition there. And we just haven't seen anyone crack that yet, I think. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, not to mention closed versus open. It's, there's lots of things that need to happen before we see a sustainable blockchain style game. And I, I want to I make sure that I'm, we're talking about blockchain games, not Web3. Th- you know, web Web3 is too not specific enough, but blockchain games. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, VR. So my, my prediction on VR. VR will take another blow with the unsuccessful launch of PlayStation VR and the failure of whatever Apple's up to <laughs> at this point, right? <laughs> this will further reduce support from third party to make games because the hardware is just not viable. Um, and I think Facebook ultimately this year will be forced to reduce further investment in VR. No, sorry. I don't mean to say it that way. They will reduce investment in VR um, because shareholders, because they're going to be forced to by shareholders, but also everyone else that has any type of common sense (laughs) is going to say like, you got to reduce the amount of money you're spending on VR. Right. Um, So, and when I mean like PlayStation VR is going to fail is like, look, they did like, they're going to do like 2 million units. Like if they do that, I'll be surprised in terms of like manufacturing at launch. And they probably will get through those units. But after that, no one's going to give a fuck, right? There's no content, right? There's nothing to buy. There's nothing to play. They have, I think they have two games that matter and the rest is crap, right? And so like, you know, that's not interesting, you know? And so the fanboys will buy it uh, as a peripheral, but it's still a peripheral and, and it's not going to be command much demand outside of that. So um, that will die quickly, even though it's a great piece of kit. I, um, I am glad you're taking the opposite of my bet because this time next year, January, 2024, when we look back, I'm going to be sitting here across from you with my little Apple goggles, me and like everyone else. We're going to be like, look how great this is. <laughs> now, if you start quoting fucking New zoo next January. <laughs> someone's someone's going to get shot. All right. Um, I saw their report recently uh, about you know declines in the market. Like it's too bad. I, I already ranted about this before, but it's too bad it took them to like November fifteenth <laughs> to well, like realize the market was going to be down. But well, anyway. no, because they had a, a report in June that said the market was going to be up. Yeah, I know they're out of their minds. Like you can't whip, you can't whipsaw like that. I'm sorry, you just kind of no, lose you credibility. Can, you can't. When you whips- yeah, I, I dude, and that's their job, dude. Make, get it, get it right. And I, 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 I'm gonna say this one more time. No, no, it's like, dude, these. It was so fucking obvious, dude. When the biggest part of the market is down and going down, you don't claim that the market's gonna be up. Not to mention there was struggles going on in console. It was everything was right there, and instead yeah. they're making these stupid fucking reports about streaming. Sorry, I already did this rant. I, I they blow my mind. Now, having said that, Mister Nuzu. I'm very, 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 very encouraged by what's going on with your guys' report about digital and microtransactions and the broader market. I've heard really good things about what you're doing there. So I look forward to seeing what you guys can pull out. It's basically by, you know, bottoms up byproduct uh, uh, estimates for gaming. And I, we, the, the, the business sorely needs that. So if you guys can pull that off, you know, maybe all your sins will be forgiven. Today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. 
With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Excel acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. Okay, my last and final prediction for... 2023, and I actually don't even necessarily believe this, but I'm just going to say it just to throw it out there, right? I think the Microsoft and Activision deal is not going to go through, and Activision oh, wow. will begin trading as its own publicly traded company again in 2023. Uh, honestly, I think it's more of like a 50-50 chance that this does not happen, but I want to be out here on the record and say that I think this deal is bad for Activision. I think it's bad for the shareholders. I think it's bad for employees. I think it's bad for industry as a whole, and I just hope that this deal does not go through because uh, I think Microsoft is being treacherous right now in terms of how they are positioning this thing. So um, I'm hoping that the UK and EU, it will not be the FTC that blocks this thing, obviously, but it will be the UK or the EU will just basically step in and say, no, this deal is bad, 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 and, uh, and, and it'll get knocked out. And then Activision will get $4 billion. They'll you know, buy all these shares back and, and the stock will get crushed right first, but I think it'll come right back. Um, it's, a bold, it's a bold prediction, man. Yeah. There um, we go. Okay. Uh, two just kind of uh, non sequitur thoughts. One is there was a video that went around last week that was, I thought, really fantastic. It was like just a sort of broad overview of, of Web3 and and the way that that market had evolved and like the various players that were involved in like pumping it. I thought it was fantastic, but they actually interviewed some people that from the Philippines that played Axie. Right. And so I think the, um, you know, call it the consumer sales pitch for Axie, or I would even say like the market sales pitch for Axie and for, for web three games generally and play to earn play and earn or whatever was that, Hey, you know what? Um, this provides a pathway for people in the developing world to make money, uh, you know, that, that pathways that are new to them, right? So like new pathways for people in the developing world to make money. And first of all, that felt like it had like a little bit of a colonial, colonial hue to it. I didn't really like that argument. Uh, that shouldn't be the way you have to sell your product that, you know, poor people uh, can, can, can slave away at it to make a little bit of money. <laughs> um, but they interviewed some people in the Philippines who lost all their money. They, they spent all this time and the token got basically devalued to zero and they lost all their money. So, you know, you can't only describe the pathway up, right? I thought that was, I can't, I don't remember what the, the video, if you search the crypto on whatever, uh, you'll, you'll find it. it. It was pretty, it was pretty viral. Um, the second point about the EU. So I just, is just like an anecdote. So I'm, I'm giving a talk, uh, like tonight at like two in the morning to this, uh, working group in the EU because they're voting on a very, very important bill soon, or the bill is going to like tri-party negotiations very soon about political advertising. And so I'm coming to give a talk, a short talk to, and it's a, it's just a, like a workshop to, to some, to some lawmakers in the EU. And we had like a, like a planning 
call, like a like a logistics call where we would talk about like you know what time you have to show up and how do you get your badge? I'm I'm going to call in, but most people are going and I mean, where's the where's the coffee going to be? Uh, you know, just very high level logistics stuff. Within five minutes, that call devolved into an absolute shit show, screaming match between someone on the industry side and someone on the EC side, on the European Commission side, just just beating the shit out of each other. You don't understand, and this bill is horrible, and this bill is going to protect. There is zero. Uh, uh, call it uh appreciation for by i think and this is very broad and i'm i'm you know i'm being uh you know uh, uh i'm painting a very broad picture here but i think there's very little appreciation on the side of the european lawmakers and european leg- regulators for like the economic impact of a lot of like the regulatory decisions they've made um and i wouldn't be surprised if they get much more aggressive in terms of antitrust than even the ftc has been because i think the ftc stuff probably there's checks and balances on that it probably won't and that's, there's also just legal constraints but on the on the European Union side, I think there's there's fewer of those, and so my sense would be, yeah, we might see more just aggression there that ends up having like very serious ramifications for you know the commercial environment here. Okay, I'm going to quickly go through my predictions. These all come from my post that I published last week, uh, so you can if you want to get more detail there, you can look them up. Look them up. Um, post was called. By the 20- way, yeah, dude, that was like an epic treatise, dude. That wasn't just a, like an article, dude. That thing was like. Like a thirty-minute read, dude. The predictions post. What do you? No, <laughs> the EU one. Your latest, your latest post. Oh, my post today. Yeah. Oh yeah, but that's a totally separate topic. Oh okay. I'm okay. talking about Sorry, my predictions. I, I you're talking about. No, no, I'm talking about my predictions post from last week. That was okay, okay, that was okay. okay. That was Sorry, uh, the one I, I I started reading the one today. And I'm like, holy crap, dude. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna need to be on the pooper or something to read through this thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a long that was a long post, but that's not related to okay. mobile gaming right, predictions. Sorry, sorry. Anyways, I'm talking Continue. about I'm I'm pulling what I'm gonna refer to right now from my predictions post from last week, which was got you it. know like a got two it, minute it. read. Um, okay, so first prediction. And actually, Laura touched on this. A move to the middle in terms of content uh, and game mechanics. So I think you'll see a lot more exploration of just the, the, the meaty middle of, you know, the, the, the spectrum, right? You know, puzzle, match three, just casual stuff. I think you'll see a lot of innovation. I, I'm, I'm maybe going to push back a little bit. I think you'll see more innovation there on the on modernization side. I think a lot of that's going to be unlocked by Apple changing the policy on the SKUs, they just they just unlock the number of SKUs that you can use in your game. They like 10X'd it. And so that gives you just a lot more to work with in terms of like playing with modernization. I also think they're going to have to retreat a little bit from, you know, how uh, how restrictive they've been with, with the use of like off-platform payments. Now, I do think there's going to be frictions there with like Apple wanting to take a cut and all that kind of stuff. But it's not necessarily about... Um, just using those to reduce Apple's cut. It's also about using those to just give you more opportunity to experiment, right? If you have a web store, you can do so much more with that than you can do in the app store because of a lot of the restrictions that are inherent in, in monetizing via the IAP, right? So I do think we're going to see a lot of move to the middle, you know, companies building out that juicy middle in terms of just more casual, uh, like lighter weight, you know, kind of airy uh, mass market titles. I think that's just going to have to happen for UA reasons, and for monetization reasons. I think, and this is, again, just kind of parroting what Laura already said, I think there's going to be a, you're going to see a lot more M&A-based DAO growth strategy. I think people are coming, especially for legacy companies with big legacy portfolios, there's no growth there. They've got to buy the growth. Now, typically, from like a corporate uh, strategy perspective, you never want to really grow, buy growth. Um, that tends not work out very well. But I think in this case, there's not much of a choice 
Um, and so I think you'll see a lot of like game specific M&A, right? So not buying the studio, but just buying the game. Um, and I think we saw that what that was last week. Moon Active did that, right? So I think there are, this is already kind of happening to some extent. Uh, Moon and Active, the last, wait, hold on. Moon Active with the Zen Match acquisition. I don't remember, it, but they I'm bought pretty, a, they bought just a game. No, they bought the team too. They bought both. Oh, but did they buy the whole studio? So if it's you're talking about Zen Match, they bought the game and the team. Okay, I might be. With that, the, that I, I don't know of okay. any. Uh, that was their last big acquisition. They may have had another one. Okay, um, yeah, but they bought, but they bought it from Good Job Games. So they bought, okay, yeah. they bought the team and the game, and but the they game. didn't buy the whole studio, right? So I think that's kind of what I'm. That's so I think you'll see more of that because you just need the growth. You don't need the whatever the accounting department and the you know the analytics infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. And I think lastly, a um, little bit talk in my book here. I'll just say that right up front. But I think brand spend <laughs> will reach a material proportion of in-game ads monetization. So why do I believe that? Well. If the so what 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 dominated and this is proven out by so let me just let me just uh, talk about what happened when Apple opened up the new placements in the App Store. What who bought all those placements? Social Casino. Social Casino bought all the new placements in the App Store. You know on the App Store pages. Why? Because they have the highest LTVs. They can they can they can crowd out everyone in terms of what they bid there. Right. Well, who's pulling back and spend? It's Social Casino. It's Strategy. It's Forex. It's all the companies that previously crowded out a lot of the more casual studios, especially like in the early part of uh, the, the the session in terms of like um, the priority of the impressions. They crowded everyone out because they could bid so much higher. And I mean, this was you saw this. This was extreme when Machine Zone was at its peak. They just beat everybody. Like Machine Zone always got the first impression. It didn't matter what game you were playing. They always got the first impression. Well, that was kind of true just broadly with like Forex and the games that monetize the best because they could afford the most, right? They could afford to bid the most. Well, now they can't. And so you're seeing a lot of that, um, that crowding out effect dissipate. And so then who can, who's, so if you, the casual games move up the stack, there's a pretty substantial chunk of the stack that's left open, right? In terms of like the bid depth or, or the impression depth, who's going to buy that? I think brands. I think you'll see Coca-Cola ads. I think you'll see Nestle ads. I think you'll see Sprite ads or whatever. Yeah, I think you'll see Adidas, uh, Ford. I think you'll start seeing a lot more brand ads in mobile games because they're not being crowded out with their low CPM bids by the extreme spenders who are able to just outbid everybody. So those are my kind of three. There's more predictions in the post. Those are just three. And then here's another one that I thought was too juicy for the post, although it's not really that. I don't think it's controversial. I just think I cut it. Um I think VCs, gaming VCs will shift their investments into value chain startups and they're going to slow down with content investments, right? So what did you see happen last year? You saw a lot of big gaming specific funds get raised, right? You saw uh, Griffin raised a big fund, A16Z raised a big fund. Um, you know, you've got Play, which had, had, you know, a very big fund prior to that. You know, I think it was the largest prior to those two. So you, you've got these gaming only funds. And I think, the content side, I mean, there was just a race to invest in every single mobile gaming studio over the last two years. And that certainly has changed, right? And, but those funds were raised in that environment. It's like, look at all these great deals we have, all these gaming studios. Gaming is growing. It's explosive. You want to get into gaming. You want to get access to this market. So invest in our fund. Well, I think that slowed down a little bit. Um, and, and even on the PC console side. So what do you do then? You invest in the the uh, value chain stuff. You invest in the analytics, you invest in the personalization, you invest in uh, the cross-platform connectivity or whatever. 
you, you're going to invest in all the stuff that supports publishing because that's really the only place to invest. Um, and so my sense is you start seeing a lot more competition for those deals, which actually kind of sucks for me uh, because that's kind of been my bread and butter. Um, and it's not going to be great to have to compete with these massive funds uh, on those <laughs> deals. But, you know, it is what it is. Nice. So All right. I, I agree with your brand spend reach. I was, I'm playing this game called, it's a small game called Sheep and Sheep. And I'm already sheep starting sheep. to sheep and sheep <laughs> and I'm already, it's a complete, it's almost a completely ad based and I'm starting to see non-gaming ads for once. I think QuickBooks yeah, or something was advertising that. I was like, what is this? Um, no, I mean, that's, that's wild because that people have been saying that's going to happen for years and years and years. And I'm like, always oh, reluctant to say this time is different, but it's different. ATT is different. ATT is a systemic shock. It's a systemic adjustment. Right. But yeah, I think it's really, it's really happening now. Uh, yeah. All right. Eric, if you basically believe that people are going to move to the middle in terms of, of the type of content that they're playing, but also in theory, the amount of monetization, kind of like my prediction, like part of my prediction, I mean, don't you think that the overall revenues will continue to decline if we're moving quote unquote to the middle, you know, on a monetization side or, or on a genre monetization LTV type thing? I would say the capital efficiency will decline, right? Maybe that's a different way of thinking about it. But like the, if you think about the capital efficiency of a, of a casual game, I mean, it's just like super thin margins, but higher revenue. And mm. a lot of times with the you know, core games, you've just got the longer LTV payback cycle, but the yields are hot. To your point, I guess, yeah, the, the profit's higher. It can be higher, right? Because you collect all that profit in like year three. Right, which which is it's too far out to purchase against. It's too far out to, to do an LTV analysis against and to, to buy right. against. But it nonetheless compounds when you see it, right? But it's so late, you can't integrate that in your model. It's really difficult because you're not going to say, mm-hmm. "Look, hey, wow, we're we're really compounding well with three year old players." But you're no way you're going to do a three year prediction out using that data because anything could happen right, in right. three years, right? So it's like you get that much, much, much thicker like unit economic like net profit. Um, but you can't account for that in the purchase. So they are higher yield. Yes. Yeah. So I guess to your point, yeah. With, whereas casual, it's like, okay, I'm buying it's 180 or 90 on 2%, 5%, 10% margin, right? So the capital efficiency is much lower. But, but yeah. it does compound you know, over the time period. So probably, I think so. I think the velocity of capital will change, and so the efficiency will change. Well, and then the other thing is that, like, are these core consumers who no longer are getting access or getting marketed core games are they going to move casual right like is that going to sustain them and keep them happy or are they going to move on to something else you know i mean that's the question are they still going to find see see this is this is the argument that people keep making that seems to be just completely falling apart is that the audience is out there right they're not they haven't changed in terms of their behavior i think you said in your article was totally true it's like this is not a macro problem right? right this is like you know, consumer spend is up. Holiday was amazing. You know, like the, the juggernaut that is a consumer spend, particularly in the U.S. Maybe yeah. Europe is a little bit more challenged. But anyway, um, is this audience going to going to find the games that they want? Right. Or if they're not marketed these games, they're not going to find them. Right. And so ultimately, are they going to move on to other type of games or are they going to somehow discover them in a different way? I don't know. You know, that's the that's the question. That's the other 
that's the other real headwind that people are going to see is if yeah. they can't reach this audience, then they can't monetize this audience the way they have in the past. Well, the market as a whole. It, but that's happening. That's ha- so that was my argument from I know, the beginning. I know. The, so those, I know. The, the, those people exist. They're not going to go away. So what do they do? If they're not being shown an ad that, sh- that, that uh, exposes them to the exact perfect game for them, where, less, where, where they'll spend the most money, then they're going to go yes. search for the game to play. And what they'll find is probably a less relevant game, yes. a less appropriate game, and they'll spend less money. And so you ended up exactly. getting the entire market shrinks as a result of that. Now, what happened this, uh, what, this week was that Apple said their service, what their payout to developers in 2022 was the same as 2021. So you got flat growth in Oof. the services revenue in the App Store. And that's exactly what happened because users said, I want to play a game. Facebook's not showing me relevant gaming ads anymore. They're showing me like, you know, pregnancy test ads and I'm a man, that ad system is broken. I'm going to go to the app store. I'm going to search. I'm going to find it. And hey, this game is good, but it's not as good as the one that Facebook would have shown me an ad for. Yes. All right. All right. You and I are on the same page on this. I just keep seeing the counter argument to this. I'm like, dude, you guys do have nothing, no legs to stand on, on this argument. Dude, nah, the, the, doesn't the work. market is fucked. Yeah. The market is totally, totally fucked. Um, and it's going to get worse, right? Before it gets better. Um, anyway. All right. I had one other thing I wanted to ask you, but I think I'm, I'm I, I've forgotten it. Um, but uh, anyway, it was. Uh, we'll see how these predictions shape up. We have one year to make this shit come true, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, to do this <laughs> uh, again next year. All right, uh, next week. So in theory, we should have a a guest appearance from one of two. Um, PM style folks to help us uh, level up in terms of analysis on products. So um, I will try to figure out which one is going to come next week and see if they can make it. Uh, But we're trying them out per se. So they're going to be on the hot seat. One of which may be very hostile towards Mr. Kress. So we'll see. Here we go. I can't wait. (laughs) He's not a big, he's not a big fan of of my assessment of uh, monetization mechanics in mobile. Oh man! Um, so uh, it, it should be very interesting. He's a very salty, saucy, smart dude. Um, so I'm hoping he comes on next week. Get your popcorn we'll ready. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Um, have a good rest of your week. Stay out of trouble. Get a chair, Laura. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you guys soon. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.